With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Thanks for downloading the Final Furlong Podcast. I'm Emma Kennedy. We are going to take a look at the stars of the flat season so far, answer some listeners' questions as well, and look ahead to some of the big performers that we're looking forward to. In the company of Daily Racing Forms are the Final Furlong Podcast American correspondent and now major U.S. TV star, Mr. Peter T. Fornital. Thank you, my friend. What a great intro. And I love getting the uh, the WHT uh, shout-out in there, World Horse Players Tour. And uh, DRF, you know, they're my employer, so we always have to give them love, too. And it's great to be back on the show. Oh, yes, of course. And uh, this podcast brought to you by... At the races, just a very hey, quick. I love them too. Yeah, I know you do, and you've done you've done shifts in studio and uh, written content. But let me ask you this question very briefly uh, before we bring in fan favorite Rory Delargy. Uh, for those who have not seen your excellent show yet, uh, given a, a great endorsement by Nick Luck, uh, and I tweeted a link to it the other day as well. I used to do poker commentary and. The similarities between what you and your co-commentator are doing on the show with what Lon McCarran and Norman Chad do in the WSOP is brilliant, and the show is incredibly entertaining. Uh, could you succinctly sum up what the show is, and it is available for free to watch the pilot available now on YouTube? Absolutely. It's basically very much consciously modeled after the poker shows, World Poker Tour, I World Series of you, you got that part just right. We have, we've taken a horse racing contest. Now, these are very big in America. They're beginning to get a little bit of a toehold around the world. Basically, players put money up uh, aside from their normal betting bankroll and compete for that prize money. In the case of our TV show, we put up the prize money and had players from around the country, professional players, uh, enthusiasts, etc., descend upon Santa Anita for a weekend. At the end of the competition on day one, the top eight moved on to the first ever live bankroll final table, where throughout each of the live races that day, they had to bet one horse to win, escalating minimum bets, just like blinds in a poker tournament. You could also go all in at any time. And they fought their way through. We got some great stories along the way. Uh, I think there's an opportunity for folks to, to learn something and have fun following along. I've gotten great comments from 
fans of other reality TV programs who didn't know anything about horse racing. And we've also gotten great comments from racetrack operators and, and people deeply entrenched in the business. It's called the World Horse Players Tour. Rather than hear me blab about it, just check it out. The easiest way to find it, drf.com slash YouTube. You can find a link. It's a 45-minute pilot. I think you'll enjoy it and would love to hear your comments about it. Been very gratified by a couple of my broadcasting heroes in uh, Nick Luck and Emmett Kennedy saying nice things. <laughs> it can't be all bad. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really, really did. And the fact that it mixes in that, that WSOP ESPN style um, along with my favorite sport, horse racing, is just fantastic. But there is a moment in it. Spoiler alert, I'm going to do this. <laughs> where And you know what? We've all done it. And we've learned the lesson. The thing is, I did it as a young guy and then decided, well, I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to do that again. This is a seasoned professional better. And he's had the lot, basically the lot on, on a horse. And the horse bolts clear. And he's running around doing the easy game, easy game. Yes, oh, yes, high fives all around. And it hasn't realized that the horse has gotten nailed on the line. <laughs> it's been tough. <laughs> if, we, if, we, if we'd scripted it, they, they would have uh, oh. thrown it completely unrealistic. This winner, you want to talk about horses coming from absolute nowhere. This horse, you, you could have laid a, a thousand. I mean, it was this race was over, and particularly this runner, there was there was just absolutely no chance. It's a great moment in the show. It's the kind of thing that I think. Yes, we got lucky to have a moment like that. Yes, we got very lucky to have the cast that we did. Again, it was an actual competition. Yeah. It just so happened that we had six of eight under 40 and a moment like this. But when you follow the antics of, of uh, horse players, punters, whatever you want to call them, I think there's going to be stories like this every week. I can't wait. It's really exciting. I strongly recommend that you go and watch it, um, if only for that scene alone, because, you know, <laughs> short and fried and all that. But uh, the poor guy, the poor guy, he took it well and he did, you know, admit his mistake. But just go and watch it. It's absolutely fantastic. And with, you know, with Betfair and Paddy Power and William Hill all poised, very, very strongly poised to go and enter the market. And I, I, like it's all going to be done by state, which is slightly confusing from an Irish and UK perspective, but that's how things are done in the States. But with the major casinos and all the major tracks who I am sure will want their piece of the pie as well, it's a very exciting time for betting in the States, particularly for horse racing. And I think you guys have timed it well, but not just that, you've come up with a really, really interesting show. Um, that uh, clip of that horse coming from the clouds, it's kind of like something that Mike Ward would tweet out from the at the races account keep an eye on the horse at the back or you know who wins and it's a horse that's not even a shot and comes flying down the outside it's just stunning um but check it out it's on youtube and um it is i'm biased but it's it's great it really is now if this format is brought to the uk the man who will crush it week in week out to the point where they'll just have to ban him from taking part is the final forum podcast rory delargy that's a, that's a very dubious introduction, I have to say. Uh, it's a nice thought, but uh, well, there you go. Yeah, it's um, uh, it looks a really interesting format. I've not watched uh, I've not watched the whole show, but I've seen the uh, I've seen the trailer, and I think it's something that would work really well here. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've, we've had 
we, we've had kind of tipping contests on air before, uh, but nothing like this. Nothing, and you've got to have something that has the um, uh, the scope to be more interesting than just here's my one point win selection at SP. Yeah, race by race. And the fact that these guys can go all in at any point as well is is fascinating. Uh, will we be going all in in a major race to come this season? So I sent out a tweet yesterday. Uh, Kevin Blake is currently racing, which is why he's not with us today. Um, we were going to have him on if the horse in question won. Unfortunately, that horse did not win. So we will leave Kevin to his own devices. He will be back on the show on Monday as we look ahead to York. Uh, but I was asking for our listeners' standout performances of the season so far, the horses that have really excited you and the ones that you're looking forward to. Now, there's many horses to talk about, but the overriding theme was, when are you going to start talking about the National Hunt season again? <laughs> when are we going to start talking about the jumps? Uh, Tom Duff said the standout performance for me was Sylvester D'Souza on Little Rockefeller. That was magic and shocking impressive, as you lads would say. Your long fairy gold at Galway was my biggest bet. So another one for me there. Good stuff. A uh, friend of the podcast, Tony Deacon, just said Little Rockefeller with a winky smiley face as well. Um, Little Rockefeller, of course, can only run in that race in the flat because he hates stalls. So um, he'll probably be 10 to 1 on next year. And if he's, if he's 10 to 1 on, it's value, if you ask me. Uh, he should absolutely bolt up. Uh, Jason would like us to talk about Don Poli. I'd do an entire podcast on Don Poli. Uh, <laughs> trust me, my friend. Uh, Brendan Flaherty wants us to do a lucky 15, lucky 31 for the big races for the rest of the season. Um, there's been an awful lot of love for the best sprinter in training. We will talk about him a little bit later on. Um, Stuart Bowie would like Rory to talk about Somerville Boy and Sam Crow uh, coming out to play, <laughs> um, which obviously uh, would be interesting. Stick him in the arm. That's what I say. Yeah. Supplement them from the arm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and that'll make things interesting. Uh, a lot of talk about Aidan O'Brien's horses being disappointing. We will talk about that throughout the course of the show as well. Uh, but the question that really got me we interviewed kate harrington at the week i should say i interviewed kate harrington at the weekend uh at the weekend what am i talking about on monday uh, to talk about alpha centauri and um that fantastic performance on sunday uh which really was breathtaking and she has been the star performer of the season so far uh, she mentioned a horse that she herself has sold to david pipe and Simon, one of our regular listeners, said, please ask Roy DeLarge if Story of Friends is a shoe-in for the Supreme in March. Hashtag Kennedy Loves Women. Uh, shall we get to the actual proper stuff, so, uh, gentlemen, and, and deal with some of some no, those... Let, let's stick to the flat, eh? Yes, exactly. Yes. Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, Brett says, I'm always interested in an assessment of the European and US three-year-old crops and how they compare to recent ones and how good they'll be going forward. Horses that keep racing, uh, difficult, but it's interesting. And I think it is as well, because obviously, and you could be talking about dirt form correlating to, to turf form, which is very, very difficult to do. There are various rating companies who, um, who try to do so. Um, and what we often ended up with is a European horse will try their hand at the Breeders' Cup Classic and like Declaration of War, they might run an absolute monstrous race, but more often than not, they're well down the field and disappointing behind a, a huge US horse. But of course, the problem in America right now is that Justify, who won a triple crown, Bob Baffert once again, Mr. Burger King getting the job done, 
but he's done. Uh, he is now done and will be going to stud due to injury. So we've been asked by a number of listeners about Boltoro. Is he going to pick up where Justify left off? I mean, we need to. We first, first things first. We need to see him back on the on the racetrack. I mean, the talent this horse has flashed. Um, I'm very excited to see what the plan is for him, but I haven't really heard what's next. He's not on the short. He didn't con- compete at Monmouth. He's not on the short list for the runners for the Travers, the big three-year-old race, sort of the signature of the season coming up here in Saratoga next Saturday. But he, he's now in the care of Steve Esmussen, who's having an absolutely massive Saratoga meeting. They apparently are freshening him for the summer, and we'll just have to see. I mean, in Asmussen's hands, I think you can trust that wherever he shows up next will be the right place. Whether or not they're going to be able to get him on track to try a tilt at races like the Breeders' Cup and the Pegasus World Cup, it, it, it just remains to be seen. Um, but the sky's the limit. He's already shown such talent and uh, nothing against previous the previous trainer, but it's hard to see going into the barn of Steve Esmussen as anything but an upgrade. It's a story that, uh, that needs to be followed going forward, and he could uh, continue to uh, show that this three-year-old crop, uh, even beneath Justify, had some really talented horses in it. But we just don't really know at this point. It's it, it, That division is looking wide open. Is there a reason why he was moved? It, it's a good question. Now, he Mick Ruiz is not a trainer who uh, really has a lot of high-profile horses, the previous conditioner. And I, and I do think there might have been some questions about the decision to run him in the Met Mile uh, against older horses the last time I don't know if it was uh, if that was if there was some internal uh, political struggle there but when you win as many races as Musin has and you have that sort of standing in the industry it, it's always going to be tempting to to put your horse with a guy who has successfully plotted out a course for horses who've gone on to become these uh, successful stallions so there's a certain logic to it I don't like to see the little guy gets short shrift and there might be more to the story than we know. Um, but I, I think it was just at the end of the day, a, a business decision. Okay. Well, he's a massive price for the classic. Um, there's obviously some bit of a conversation about justify uh, a little bit of a cynical view on things that, you know, Oh, he's won the triple crown and now he's injured um, with quotation marks. That's a genuine injury. Like, given the fact that American Pharaoh won what is now called the Grand Slam, doing the Triple Crown and then winning the the Breeders' Cup Classic, surely they would have wanted to try and emulate that. And also, there wasn't really a whole lot to fear. Yeah, he... I think that you have to look at it... It's another uh, way that you could just apply the lens of the horse business to to the specifics of the justify decision. And he had owners in that group who had no breeding rights and only racing rights. I think there's no question that if he'd stayed completely okay without any uh, knocks, that he would be racing and they would have gone for, to, to emulate the American Pharaoh's achievement with the Grand Slam. And now American Pharaoh didn't have a Pegasus World Cup to, to run at. 
and he would have potentially had that to add to the coffers. And again, when you have people in the ownership group who that's all they get, that would have made sense. But I think with the minor injury he sustained, the filling that that came and then went and then came back, at a certain point, it's just like, well, you know, we've got this undefeated triple crown winner. Is it really worth pushing it when it seems like the wind is blowing in a direction where his racing days might be over? I think it was a fairly easy decision at that point. I don't think this is a phantom whisk him away injury. I think there was really something there. Mm. He probably could have come back but economically, it doesn't make sense to run him at four. So at that point, why not just cut it straight and get him on to the next phase of his life? Yeah, so the stallion shed next, but definitely an injury. Good Magic currently heads the betting here in Europe for the Breeders' Cup Classic Accelerate. Hofburg, who, of course, you mentioned on the podcast as a project for the, the Belmont. If I was to push you for a Breeders' Cup Classic winner now, who would it be? Oh, that is such a tough question. I'll tell you who looked unbelievable up here the other day in the Whitney Stakes was Diversify. Really looked good romping. Now, granted, uh, the way the track came up, maybe that maybe that favored him and and gave him a, a it, the, the wet weather bothered him less than it would have bothered a lot of his competition. But he's now run several monster figures in a row and is a horse that should certainly be on a short list and one to take a look at um, if there are big prices about. Good magic. It remains to be seen if he's going to ultimately be seen to his best effect at the 10 furlongs of the Travers next weekend and ultimately the Breeders' Cup Classic. But that will be the race, I think, that tells the tale for him if he's going to become a horse to go on and tilt at the Classic or if they might think about cutting him back. I think from a value for money perspective, I'll probably be, even though he's probably the best horse, opposing him in the Travers. But should he go and uh, put together another performance like we've seen from him on his best days, he'd certainly be a, a valid contender for the race. But he's not one I'm looking to lump on right now at a short price, having only faced uh, three-year-olds and having... Uh, like I said, just a little bit of a question if the 10 furlongs is really going to be where he's at his best. Okay, it's very much a case so of wait and see with the Classic, which you can see exclusive on At The Races uh, later this year, November, which actually isn't that far away. Uh, in terms of the older horses back in Europe, and yes, we will indeed talk about Winks later on and get Peter T. Fonatel and Roy DeLarge's definitive opinion on Winks. <laughs> is she Ald Winksy? Or is she the mighty Winksy? We shall find out from the lads a little bit later on. She runs this weekend. Um, older horses, time form currently have Batash and Cracksman at the top of their ratings on 136 both. Is Batash the best sprinter around Rory DeLarge? Uh Yeah, I think so. Um, I've... Um, uh, I haven't always been a massive fan of Batashi. He looked he looked a little bit wayward in his, his early days, but um, he did tremendously well last year. And he's just been unfairly knocked, um, to be honest, because he, he is highly strung, as a lot of top-class sprinters are. Um, I mean, who can forget Dejur? And I'm no. sure Pete, Pete will remember Dejur's, um not necessarily his finest R, but his most remarkable R in the Breeders' Cup sprints. Um, you know, he was he was a horse on the edge temperamentally. He should have been a miler, and, and he turned into a tremendous sprinter. And uh, Batash is, um, in full flow, is is something extraordinary. And it's amazing to think that um, people were talking about Harry Angel as being the best sprinter in the world without 
thinking for a second that maybe there's a horse um, not very far away from him who's who's um, you know who's better to him at five furlongs, um, and he showed again at Goodwood as he did last year that that he's just in a different league uh, to anything else in Europe, um, and those minor concerns about his um, his temperaments. Um, haven't been borne out. You know, he, he did run below par in the Nunthorpe last year, but that was that was one run all season. And as you know, the way horses have to come to the start um, at York is very testing on their temperaments. Yeah. Um, and other tracks are less of an issue for him on other occasions. So, you know, there's a huge amount to like about him. Um, he's absolutely destroyed the best sprinters on the go. I was a huge fan of Marshall last season, as you know. Um, and of course, she won the Nonthorpe to justify um, my high opinion of her and the high opinion of lots of other people as well. But he absolutely destroyed her in the Abai, and that's a race she won the previous year. That's right. Um, so, so he he deserves to be right at the top of the tree. I think a lot of people don't like dealing with five furlong horses. You know, when they're looking at who the best horse in the world is, they tend to concentrate on the on the um, sort of the mile and a quarter horses. Um, you know. I, either side of that, you know, you look at the very the very best miners, the very best mile and a half horses, um, but it's around that kind of trip range. Whereas um, great sprinters tend to be a little bit unloved because they're they're hard to compare um, with middle distance horses. But when you see a horse who can do what Batash can do over five furlongs, you've got to sit up and take notice. That performance at Goodwood was stunning. But if you were going to be hypercritical about him Rory you could argue well he got beaten at the Royal Meeting in Group 1 Company and his wins this season have come outside of, of Group 1 Company is that unfair and yes and, and, that, and that answers that question straight away so so aside from him when you look at Blue Point who beat him at the Royal Meeting take him away from Ascot and he just doesn't seem to be as good for whatever reason mm-hmm. that just seems to be the, the situation with him Harry Angel can't be blamed for what happened at the royal meeting and so that's going to be very much a, a retrieval mission um u.s navy flag may very well run and uh in in europe again we're not entirely certain he's currently got a, a rating of one two five from time form um but ultimately his big game is the everest and uh he's already got his group one this season and he was European champion juvenile. So his place at stud is assured given the fact that he's a war front. <sighs> is there anything else we need to talk about in the sprinting division? No, no, it's, it's, it's Harry Angel and it's Batash. And of course, um, the, the issue we have with Harry Angel at the moment is the injury he picked up at Ascot and, and hoping that he's fully recovered from that um, in the autumn. And again, the, the other problem you have with Harry Angel coming into the autumn is again, the, the, the big finale for for sprinters at Ascot um, is at Ascot, and that's been his bet noir. Um, he's unbeaten away from Ascot, Harry Angel, but he's uh, although he's always run well there, um, it's it doesn't suit him as well. And taking him back to a track where he keeps getting beaten um, is a little bit of a concern. They could drop him back to five. He's he's got speed to burn. Yeah, and it would be great to see Batash and Harry Angel actually clash over five furlongs. You know, be that in the in the Nunthorpe, uh, no, it's not going to be the Nunthorpe, is it? Um, possibly in the Abai. It's the only the only really op- option we have with a pair of them. Um, it probably won't happen, but it'd be tremendous to see uh, if we did get that. But yeah, the pair of them stand out. Um, I, I was very keen on US Navy Fly when he won the July Cup, but I wouldn't have him in the same league as the other two, especially away from Newmarket. Really, that seems to be really important for him. Yeah. Uh, do you not think that his pace? 
up front and his ability to control the front and, and burn everything off would make him a difficult one to peg back. It's probably academic because a little bit like... I, I, I don't think he's got the pace of either, either Batash or Harry Angel. You think they'd demolish um, him? Because he's been, you know, he's been showing that pace either against, you know, slightly inferior horses um, as a two-year-old last year or over longer trips until the July Cup. Um, I did think he would have the speed to, to win that, but it, it was not the greatest sprint you've ever seen, was it? No. It was a pretty moderate renewal of the July Cup. And I think if you put all the best sprinters together, um, especially on a different track, um, he would look vulnerable. You know, there's half a chance he could go on again, but you've got to look at his his profile and his his outstanding performances have all come at Newmarket now. There's, and that's a very good point to make as well, by the way, about the, the correlation between these big performances coming at Newmarket. There's obviously the frustration with the Aidan O'Brien yard, which we talked about earlier on. That's been one of the most popular questions that we were asked on Twitter. What do you make of it? And Peter and I were talking off air, uh, having watched at the races coverage of Arlington, where Aidan sent a pretty decent team over Deauville is what he is but he placed in the Arlington Million in the past Athena was hugely impressive when she went to America on her previous start and Hunting Horn was very impressive at the Royal Meeting and while he had been beaten in America subsequently there was every reason to think that he would perform big time there and yet it wasn't Aidan O'Brien it was Chad Brown and all the Americans who absolutely mopped up Americans winning turf races Rory what's going on (laughs) this is absolute madness uh, but like Dermot Well went over uh, Geraldine, like we tried, uh, and yet the Americans had too much for us. And you are in this position with Aidan O'Brien right now, where a horse like U.S. Navy Flag, you kind of have to tip your hat to him and say, "Well, well done." You know, you went out and you got your Group One, because being at Goodwood and seeing Landforce win so impressively, and then the very next race, Rhododendron bombs out, means that you're in a very difficult spot when trying to decide and assess just how good these horses are or how they're performing and as as has been said by people attached to the yard and Aiden himself you can do all the tests you want and famously Ballydoyle have an, an incredible amount of research to do on their horses but until you actually put them through the rigors of a race you're not going to know how they're going to perform no that's true um Aiden had an absolutely monstrous year last year we tend to expect it him to keep building it's not possible you're going to always hit uh, minor peaks and troughs however good you are in the business and we've just seen a a partially a a slight regression to the mean this season we're not looking at at o'brien horses i mean people said what a dreadful ascot he had but you know if i if i had the ascot he had or if you offered the ascot that he had to almost any other trainer in the country they'd have bitten your hand off um to, to have it yes he's not he's not mopping up as he was last season but um, you know, he's reliant on how strong the crop is, and some years will be will be better than others. Um, there are no signs that something has gone wrong there. No signs whatsoever. There's we've had this situation with um with a few, particularly the Phillies, being slightly under the weather and, and not running their races. Um, but nothing that would make you panic and nothing that would make you think these Phillies won't be bouncing back in the autumn and uh, when they're over whatever ails them. This is not a major um, yard under the virus uh, problem um, and it's not one of these uh, when are they going to sack Aidan O'Brien and find a new trainer to take over who can do the job people will talk about that after, after a, a slight lull but you look at you look at his, his overall record um, and it's absolutely outstanding even when you do deal with the fact that he's getting the pick of the bloodstock um, it doesn't matter 
how good the horse is, your centaur. If you're if you're no good, you're not going to get results from them. And the results that Aidan O'Brien has got over the years have been absolutely outstanding, even accepting um, how well served he is uh, by his major owners. Um, this is not going to be his best season, but just looking at his his um, uh, again d- dealing with time form figures, um, his stats this season 100 wins from 502 runners and 71 percent of horses running to form according to time form i'm not suggesting that's gospel there but that is not the sign of a yard in turmoil um and yet every time we see a little bit of a dip from from what we expect um there are people who want to press the panic button and i I don't see there's anything anything unusual there he doesn't have quite the stars that he had last year or a couple of years ago but you know the wheel keeps on turning, and it'll be a different story next year. Yeah, and it happened before. 2004, it happened. 2014, yeah. it happened before the Guineas, and, and they turned the corner. But um, I think that's an important point to make. Stateside, there's almost a, a huge obsession, almost as big as mine, some would argue, Peter, uh, with Aidan O'Brien. And uh, I remember Mendelssohn being massively talked up at the Breeders' Cup when he won, given his beautiful pedigree, particularly from an American standpoint and how excited uh, American broadcasters were about his uh, three-year-old campaign stateside, which, to say the least, has not gone to plan. He was brilliant in Dubai, but it, it's been disappointing since then. Um, what's been the American reaction to the O'Brien team? I feel like we've been fairly overwhel- uh, underwhelmed. I mean, obviously, Athena did get the job done in the Belmont Oaks at a good price. And I think that that Rory's point is very well taken, that it's easy to try to apply these overarching narratives about, oh, well, you know, he's just not winning here anymore, or the ones who are, the horses aren't running to form. They certainly didn't run to form at Arlington, but I still think you have to take them all on a a case-by-case basis. It it does seem, the, the narrative idea of there being maybe some kind of bug for the, that affected some of the horses. I mean, they did run well enough below par here at that meeting that that it doesn't sound crazy, but I don't think you want to get into general thoughts about downgrading his horses or anything because uh, we've seen them win here even this year, and it's probably just a matter of time and a matter of having the right horse in the right spot before they win again. I'd say that the Aiden narrative was very much overshadowed at uh, the Arlington Million Day by basically the story of how, just how dominant Chad Brown has become uh, in the USA with these turf horses. I mean, to to be running not just uh, first, but but first and second in the two biggest races and to have had analyze it, the three-year-old run as well as he did, ended up getting uh, beaten, of course, by Carrick for Donegal Racing, and, and fans who pay attention to USA Racing should really note that this is not the first time by a long shot that we've seen these Donegal-owned horses, even with a series of different trainers, step up, particularly three-year-olds on the turf, and run huge races in the biggest days in the USA. But I think the main story coming out of Arlington was just Brown's continued dominance. He, he re- It really... Seems like it is his world, and we're just living in it when it comes to the best American turf horses. Uh, is it has he deliberately decided to try and corner the turf market in the states? Well, I would say, if anything, he, he's he's now more consciously looking into dirt runners. The last couple of years, we saw him getting his first classic 
last season with cloud computing. Mm. Of course, good magic, um, making a, a big impact in the dirt division. So it's almost scarier than that, where he's already, you know, that was that was the old mission, and the new mission is, hey, how am I going to most effectively train these dirt horses to have the same kind of uh, an effect on that on that surface? I think the turf stuff came more naturally to him being a, a disciple of, of, of the great Bobby Frankel. He sort of hit the ground running there. And I think as time goes on and he gets more and more dirt pedigrees, it's quite possible his, his influence is just going to continue to spread and grow. And he's certainly a trainer. You have to be, he doesn't do everything well, but he does pretty darn close to everything well. And he's certainly a trainer that anytime we have these big days that uh, English and Irish fans are going to be paying attention to. He's he's certainly a, a trainer you want to give some extra credit to, and I don't think he gets the same type of automatic overbet in the European markets as he does in the USA tote, and that's something that fans might be able to take advantage of when the horses end up in the right spots with, with without too many questions. Yeah, that could be a very nice angle for us going forward. And in terms of sprinters, we spoke to Rory about... Uh, his view on, on the top sprinters so far. Batash leading the way in terms of time form ratings and Ferrari as well. You're a regular on the European racing side of things as well. And we've enjoyed your company in uh, many a bar, many a race course uh, in the UK and indeed in Ireland as well. What is your current assessment of the European sprinting crop? I mean, I think you guys really nailed it. I don't have too much to add. Those would have been all the horses I wanted to talk about. It did occur to me, you know, the Breeders' Cup sprint, turf sprint, is one of those races that changes distances. And this year, being the sharp five at Churchill, as opposed to that six and a half furlong downhill at Santa Anita that often almost plays more like a mile, I wonder if there'll be some temptation by connections to, to take a shot, not having to go all the way to California. The shorter journey and the sharper trip, if that might open that race up to some European competition. I haven't looked to see if any of those horses are in the betting yet. There might not even be. That's an obscure enough Breeders' Cup race that there might not be established betting markets yet. But it was something I, I was thinking about as you guys were talking to, to, to see if we might. The, the Europeans haven't had uh, much of, a, of an impact in that race over the years. I was wondering if the different circumstances this year might change that a little bit. Yeah, Roy, do you think that's going to be a possible aim for UK, Irish, even French trainers this time around? Uh, yeah, I think it has to be a possibility. That's um, uh, Pete's mentioned exactly why that is. And just looking at the market, there are, are a um, uh, there are three firms who are betting on it, and the front four horses in the market or four of the front five in the market are Batash, Harry Angel, Blue Point and US Navy flag. Um so there you go. We're not, the, we're not the first ones to have had this thought. Turns out somebody else has cottoned onto this as well. Uh, Although in fairness, you know if you if you want to make some easy money and you're you're framing anti post markets for for uh, Brits on the uh, the Breeders' Cup. You'll find a race where you think, oh, there might be some, there might be some British entries here. Just price them all up as favourites and see who'll back. <laughs> and you're probably going to find people who will. Uh, so I'm not suggesting you're you're getting tremendous value there. You'd want you'd want to know um, that uh, the likes of Batash and Harry Angel might go there, um, which you know wouldn't wouldn't be certain. But um, given the the nature of the track, it would certainly play to Batash's strengths. 
Um, and of course, there's a little bit of uh, unfinished business for his owner there with um, what happened with Dejure. Absolutely. That's why I was wondering, would Patash take up that engagement possibly? Because it, it would be, as you said, unfinished business. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on Charlie Hillstar and see does he make the journey over. Right, Milers. Uh, universally on Twitter, there was one comment uh, from a listener saying, what a shame they didn't stick to the mile with Saxon Warrior. Everybody else wanted to talk about one horse and one horse only, Alpha Centauri. She has become the star and the flag bearer of the flat season. She's now got four Group 1 wins in a row, including taking on males and older horses in France at the weekend. Uh, it looks as though Matron Stakes and then Breeders' Cup Mile for her next. And she will stay in training as a four-year-old, as Kate was saying to us on Monday as well, which is hugely exciting. Is there anything in your mind, Rory, that can come close to her? I could try to give you an interesting answer to that and hum and haw a little bit, but my my gut instinct is to say no. Uh, you never know with Phillies um, when the brilliance is just going to be turned off. Sometimes they can play as very brightly for a short period of time, and, and then um, and then that's that. Um, but they usually hold the form through the season. Um, I was going to say she reminds me of, of Ridgewood Pearl. She doesn't really, um, but she is. Ridgewood Pearl obviously went went and won the the Breeders' Cup Mile. She was as tough as old boots. Um, uh, she probably should have won the QE two before that as well. And um, uh, although very different types, they both thrived on their racing and. The Breeders' Cup miles seems an, seems an obvious target for her. Always has seemed an obvious target. I'm not sure that Jesse sounded absolutely uh, committed to that, but the owners have always liked to have runners um, at the Breeders' Cup in the past, and it clearly would have been in her, her agenda, however successful her season was, that she's been so um, frighteningly good. Um, and the thing that, that I was just thinking uh, earlier today was, isn't it amazing now that everyone is, is hailing her as, as the best around and untouchable? That you could have backed her at 33 to 1 for the Irish Guineas the day yeah. before the race. Yeah, it's absolutely bonkers. She was beaten on her and, season. And, it, and that's the thing. It wasn't like she was unheard of at that stage. She no. suddenly arrived from nowhere. We were raving about her after her two-year-old debut last spring. That's right. And what a great prospect she was. But she's had two runs after a break on, on very bad ground and disappointed twice. Um, and I think the key to her is is she thrives on her racing and she doesn't she doesn't want the mud. I don't think it was particularly soft the other day uh, when she won. Uh, French going descriptions tend to be a, uh, they tend to err on the side of caution in terms of, of suggesting the ground is softer than it is. Um, but she clearly handles a bit of cut. She just doesn't want the mud. Um, uh, but her profile, aside from those two runs, has been has been a really really solid one. Um, and she's got everything you'd want. She's a big filly, but she's got everything you'd want to, to go to the States as well. She's got such a high cruising speed um, that you could probably put her wherever you want in a race. Well, Kate Harrington was saying that the head lad for Jessica's yard had walked the track because she'd read a going description. And as you said, the French tend to be uh, quite cautious. And he was saying, oh, that's lovely ground. I don't know what they're talking about. It's, it's absolutely fine. And that's how it looked yeah. as she moved through the race as well. I remember her last year really it was like the wheels weren't spinning you know it was just like they they couldn't get a grip uh on the ground she just did not and we had a terrible summer last year you'll remember weather-wise uh, whereas this yeah. time around thankfully it's like where, where peter is in saratoga it's been stunning weather um and that has has really played to her strengths i wonder if one of the reasons why jessica was a little bit lukewarm on talking about the breeders cup mile 
is because that would be uncharted territory for her. But yes. I would yeah. like to think that she would be very excited by that because she hadn't had a runner at Goodwood uh, until Torcidor, who unfortunately uh, we'll talk about him when it comes to the um, to the stairs a little bit later on. But he's subsequently been sold and will now continue his career in Germany, which I imagine is is deeply frustrating to them. Yeah, I, I agree with your point about um, perhaps the reason she doesn't sound um, so enthusiastic about the Breeders' Cup mile at the moment is, is because it is uncharted territory. But I think it, because she's not raving about it now, it doesn't mean that she won't be at the time. I think it's one of those things that until you've really sized it up, um, you can't approach it bullishly. And I think um, Jesse Harrington will want, to, will want to be very familiar with that when the time comes and know exactly what's being asked of her um, before she's she wants to gush about it to the press. Yeah. I think she's being naturally cautious because you know it is something new. She hasn't she hasn't thought about it at this stage because she take things race by race. Um, and if it's still on the agenda um, in a couple of months' time, then she'll start warming up in the way she talks about it. All right, Peter, we're coming. We got the tricolor ready. We've got the best miler in Europe according to time form ratings. One twenty eight. I'm looking at on the Atha Races website for Alpha Centauri. Do you have anything that could even line up beside her in the gate, or should we just hand the trophy to her now? Well, look, I'm not in the business of uh, taking nine to four on uncommitted uh, future wagers, but the Alpha Centauri I've seen uh, sure seems like she might make that nine to four look like a gift, and I'd take it before I'd lay it. I'll say that much. Yeah. I don't think we have anything here. If you can assure me that it's the good Alpha Centauri who who shows up and there's not any hiccups and she's going to run a race, nothing's going to warm her up from over here, honestly. That is fantastic to hear, by the way, and you can see that live on At The Races. Is there anything else worth talking about in the modeling division, Rory, or am I just wrong in saying that I'm completely underwhelmed by it? Without parole was exciting. It went wrong at Goodwood. And now I'm confused by him. Yeah, it's, it's still early enough days with, with without parole. I think he'd probably bounce back um, from that. Um, but in terms of the fact that he that he went off as short as he did at Royal Ascot, having not even contemplated a Group One before, that just tells you that it's a it's a modest enough crop. Um, we probably should uh, pay lip service to the person who, who mentioned Saxon Warrior and, and um, suggested that maybe it's gone wrong with him because. Um, everyone convinced themselves he was a mile and a half horse who got away with it in the Guineas when he's now looking like um, a horse who might have thrived at a mile and, and took a wrong turn going up and trip. Um, he might get himself back on track, but, you know, it's difficult to be confident about where, where his future is now. Um, the old champion stakes would have been ideal for Saxon Warrior at Newmarket. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, because... He was just so impressive there, and he seemed very, very well suited by the track at Newmarket. But um, I don't, you know, that that race is is a, a an entirely different affair now. It's moved to uh, to Ascot, and I'm not sure where they um, where they go with Saxon Warrior. But he's he's run with credit and all his other stars. It just looked like the world was his oyster at Newmarket, and it hasn't quite panned out. Um, so it'd be great to see him him back. But um, the fact that he or any other horse uh, would have to give weight to Alpha Suntory all the way through the season it means it's difficult to get too excited about anything else except for her. And I just hope that she stays signed for the rest of the year because, you know, one of the themes we haven't really touched on so far, but if you start talking about outstanding horses this year or, um, you know, the, the best prospects coming into the season, we've had a lot of injuries and retirements 
Um, and we just got to touch wood and, and hope that the outstanding horses we see at the moment um, stay sound for the rest of the season and give us something to cheer about in the autumn. Well, with that in mind, then, uh, shall we talk about middle distance horses? Because towards the top of the older horses are two John Gosden stars, Cracksman and Enable, both of whom have major question marks hanging over their heads. Enable is now going to have her comeback at Kempton. Uh, yes, um, there, there was uh, talk about the um, uh, the Yorkshire Oaks being her comeback race. Um, that's been a funny race over the years, hasn't it? The Yorkshire Oaks has thrown up has thrown up a few head scratching results. Yeah, um, a few um, a few long odds on shots turned over over the years um, at York, uh, and I suspect she just needs more time. You know, she only but by all accounts she only did her first serious piece of work a couple of weeks ago, if even that. Um, so she's, um, you know, they're working back from the arc with her. That's the only race that really matters. And um, you have to take your lead from John Gosden. And, and she clearly wasn't going to be ready in time for York. Um, and the September 6th um, has never been a terribly sexy race um, from when it was run on the turf at Kempton. And it was obviously when they um, redeveloped the track there, it moved around a little bit. It was run at Epsom for a while. Um, and now that it's it's a an all weather race, it's it's lost whatever, uh, it's lost a little bit of the prestige that it, that it would have had. Um, but it doesn't really matter what sort of prestige is attached to her warm up race. Um, everyone just wants to see her back, showing what she could do last year. And it's a big question mark when you, however minor an injury is, if it keeps if it keeps a filly off the track for the best part of a year. You're always worried about whether the fire is still burning. You know, everything can be physically fine. Um, but Phillies probably more than, than Colts and Gelding, particularly Geldings. Um, you just wonder with a, an extended period off the track whether their desire to compete just dies a little bit. Yeah. Trev, of course, was terrific in her second arc when most of us had written her off. So they can do it. Um, at this stage, they retired minding last year which was very disappointing because we were obviously looking forward to her comeback. So the fact that she is on the comeback trail has to give you hope, but she's a short price, short enough price for the arc, and there are an awful lot of question marks there. So if I was to push you, how do you think this will unfold with her? And I really have no idea. I think that, that's, I don't think anyone knows yet. Um, she wouldn't have been pushed hard enough at home for them to know um, how much ability there is and even if she was working well um you don't know until you get them back on track uh, what they're going to be like looking at the shape of the arc at the moment i think it's crying out for her to come back yeah um you know it, it needs it needs a touch of of class in there with, with the greatest of respect to to sir michael stout's um uh, perry dominated the king george um you you do what needs an enable um to light it up like she did last year and again you know the, the halo has definitely slipped with cracksman a little bit hasn't it but she was we've almost forgotten it now so long ago you, you want if you watch a video of the uh, uh of the arc pack probably not a video uh, these days but you never know um <laughs> she she was sensational um given that she was she was plenty free enough in the race um it was a strong contest on paper and she ran out a really impressive winner so um given that it's been a, a season light on on uh, new stars um and light on brilliant performances at middle distances again tip of the hat to sir michael stout for 
for you know showing what he's been capable of doing for the last 40 odd years and turning the likes of uh, crystal ocean and poets word into into top class horses um we we've been missing something exceptional and she is the missing ingredient so um i wouldn't want to back her at this stage and i, I don't think you can you can take anything for granted until you see her run at Kempton. Um, but sometimes you just hope uh, that um, that a filly like her can come back because uh, I think it's uh, it'll be hugely important for the uh, for the race to see her in the, in the same form she was last year. It's hugely important for the season as well, Rory, because racing needs its stars and. The amount of tweets from uh, loyal Final Furlong podcast listeners who were talking about just how underwhelmed they have been so far for all that the the major meetings like the Royal Meeting and, and Goodwood have been thrilling and have produced fantastic races and, and great stories. We don't have the equine stars like Enable that we have had in, in previous years. Maybe that's something we need to appreciate a little bit more. Um, when when we do have them, Alpha Centauri obviously is is leading the way. Calix was the top two year old and is now injured, and when we'll see him next is is a question. Uh, and we'll talk about the juveniles briefly in a little bit. But you mentioned Cracksman. How do you solve a problem like Cracksman? If John Gosden doesn't know how to solve it, then then I'm clearly not uh, the man to to do it. But the the one the one thing that that um uh the the jumped out to me seeing him struggle to get the job done in the Coronation Cup. That was a perfectly reasonable performance in terms of, if you're going to stick a, a number on it in terms of ratings, it wasn't it wasn't a poor performance at all. It was just like, it should have been a cakewalk. He made a look hard work and beaten Salouan. Um, the runner-up ran very well in the um, uh, in, in Grip One Company next time out in France. Um, so the form, is, the form is signed enough. It's just that he seemed to be feeling something. He seemed to be reluctant to, to, to push himself um, I don't want to say through the pain barrier because that might not be the issue at all. But the, the one thing I thought with him there was I'd be inclined to to give him two months off and see if he flourishes and see if maybe there's something that you can't pick up, a, you know, a stress fracture or something like that that's not showing up but is affecting his performance. Just give him a rest and bring him back in the autumn and see how he does. Um, but John Gosden has shown over the years um that there's hardly anyone better in, at the in the game at getting horses to peak at the end of the season than he is, um, and he's pretty much guaranteed to do the right thing by Cracksman. But no one seems to know exactly why the um, the brilliance we saw last year hasn't been there this season. Although, if you want to be really if you want to be really brutal about it rather than cynical, you could say, well, take away his his Champion Stakes win last year and look at his overall record, and he doesn't seem half the horse. You know, I his, just he promised to... to be very good last year. Yeah. yeah. And they put it all together in the champion stakes. Um, and now we're kind of, we're measuring him against that yardstick and, and finding him wanting a little bit. But if you take that out, if you just take the champion stakes win out of his record and say, here's what he's done, he looks a very good horse with a remarkably um, consistent record um, who's just short of, not short of top class, but he's short of being um, a superstar group one performer. Um, that's that question seemed to be answered in the Champion Stakes last year, um, but it does look a standout performance when you compare his record this season and what he'd done prior to Ascot last year. For all he promised it, so maybe he's just an autumn horse. Maybe he he's the kind of horse who will, he will, you know, look very good while not impressing everyone through the summer, and then come the autumn he'll take off again. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Actually, is it possible? 
that we've all just gotten a little bit carried away with Cracksman. That... Yeah, well, there's, there's there's two there's two sides to that coin. Uh, that, as I said, maybe he's an autumn horse and he'll take off again in the autumn, or maybe we've all we've all got carried away with one performance mm. and decided that that defines him. When if a horse runs twenty times and there's one performance that's that's you know five or six pounds better than everything else, it isn't really defining at all. It's it's misdefining. Yeah, Peter, what's your take on this? Because he was beaten in the look. His record is there for all to see. He was absolutely stunning on Champions Day at Ascot last season. And I wouldn't want to take that from him. But in isolation, that's been the standout performance. Everything, clearly at the Royal Meeting, he just wasn't right. But everything else has been a horse who's Group 1 class and is definitely a very good horse, but is not the world beater that some have suggested and that has allowed him to have this lofty... 136 rating do you see him bouncing back in the autumn or do you see him as being a horse who was just flattered on champions day rory's point makes me think twice my gut here is to say this is a horse whose heart isn't in it i mean the visual impression of the last two races has left me very cold rory also makes a good point about how the form has worked out to maybe uh, make those performances look actually be a little bit better than they looked at the time from my point of view, I would not want to bet on a return to form, but as a fan of racing, and, and I think I can say this of Enable too, th these are horses I don't imagine, uh, certainly not betting on the next time I, I see them, but as a racing fan, uh, ones who would be fabulous, I, I'd love if that just turns out to be my uh, betting cynicism, and they can uh, reaffirm those lofty heights, but... I definitely, from a punning point of view, would not want to back on either. There's just, it's just, in Enable's point of view, it's just, it's very hard, in my view, to to deal with those kind of setbacks and then get back to where she once was. And with Cracksman, I just don't. The visual impression is not of a horse that that looks like he's really trained on and wants to go forward. Yeah, I think that might be the fear. Are we not giving enough due credit to the Sir Michael Stout pair of Poets Award and Crystal Ocean? I, th I think they're. I think they are getting the credit they deserve. They're, I mean, we tend to deal with them in, in terms of their trainer as much as anything, and the fact that he's able to um, to take horses who who weren't um, up to the rigors of uh, Derby campaigns as three year olds and turning them, you know, using his patience to turn them into top class horses at four and five. I, I, um, I suppose Port's Word's performance in the Prince of Wales Estates at Royal Alaska was underrated at the time because um, the whole race seemed a little bit flat apart from him. You know, he, he, Cracksman um, was, was a long odds on favourite and didn't fire. Um, Port's Word beat him by over two lengths. But, you know, the runner-up came well clear of the field. He was eight lengths clear of the, of the, the third. Um, and the thing about races like that is... When you're looking at a Group One race, you're um, if the horse that you think should be winning by a wide margin is the one who's responsible for the big margins, um, you tend to think what a great race it was. If another horse comes in there uh, and uh, you know beats the odds-on favourite and there are big margins uh, behind them, you tend to be a little bit reluctant and, and suggest that the race might have been a disappointing contest. But you know to win a Group One at Royal Ascot by by two and a quarter lengths and eight lengths, you've got to be a top-class performer. And Poets Word showed that. Um, when he when he uh, won again um, at Ascot next time, and clearly he is absolutely top class. Um, 
it's taken him a while to get there, but that's very typical of Sir Michael. But with horses like that, who, who develop into um, top-class middle-distance horses later in life, um, we get less excited by them than we would with horses who are unbeaten. You know, if Poets were to dominate did this season and we hadn't seen him, um, you know, in his in his uh, three-year-old campaign, we'd be a lot more excited about him. But because he's been a bit of a slow burner, um, you know, we take him as a very worthy performer. Um, but we're always looking for something to put on a pedestal, aren't we? Yes. Um, and he's not that kind of force. And, and uh, neither is the... Um, uh, is the um, King George runner-up, um, but they're both hugely likable horses. Who, you know, if you were looking to back one in the uh, in the arc, you know, Poets Word and Crystal Ocean take the take the strongest claims there. Um, but they're always going to be a little bit under the radar. I don't think they're underrated in terms of what their ratings are. I think they're probably just underloved a little bit. Yeah, which is a slightly different thing. I think that's a good point. Of the two, who would you favour? Who do you think would be most suited to Paris Longchamp? Uh, Poet's word, I suppose, um, simply because he's, you know, he's the one stepping up from a mile and a quarter, and he's got that pace. Uh, whereas Crystal Ocean was a was a um, a ledger horse last year. Mm. Um, but in terms of what I would love to see, I, I love um, uh, horses who stay and are capable of dropping back to a mile and a half and and um, uh, showing how good they can be. Which is why I was, you know, I've always been cheering Orders and George on on the arc in recent years, and um, you know. I, when I was a kid, I saw Ardross um, just beaten in the arc, you know, and I've always believed that top-class stayers should be able to compete um, against top-class middle-distance horses and not be not be frightened of that. And for about 20 years, we never saw it happen at all. Uh, and it's only the likes of Aidan O'Brien coming along, um, to, you know, to show us that they they don't mind. Um, it doesn't tarnish it doesn't tarnish a tarnish stayer's reputation at all, of course. No. Um, taking on the best at a mile and a half, but no one, no one wanted to do it for years and years, um, and it really makes the game seem much broader in appeal when you can tie those two divisions together uh, and see how they marry up. We we can never really do that with with sprinters and, and middle distance horses, but the middle distance horses and the stayers really should be the same bunch um, to a large degree. Um, and we don't see enough of that. So I'd love it if um, if Crystal Ocean could go and win the arc, having um, run on the St. Ledger. And it's good for the for the future of races like the Ledger. And it's good for the future of staying races in this country as well, which are getting a big boost at the moment. Yeah, big time, particularly with the Stairs Million, which, of course, Stradivarius will be bidding for this next week, I should say. And we'll be talking about that in the Final Forum podcast on Monday with Kevin uh, and indeed with Rory as well. Um, Westerner probably was the first proper stair of Group 1 class to, to go for the arc um, for quite a while and ran that mighty race behind Hurricane Run. But, uh, yeah, Order of St. George has, has done himself proud. In terms of the three-year-olds... Saxon Warrior, can he bounce back over middle distances? Is that going to be, is he a 10 furlong horse or is he a miler, Rory? Um, he's he's a little bit of a conundrum as well. I, I remember um, after he was being in the Irish Derby, we, we had a discussion about this and, and um, I was quite taken by the, 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 the jury and the racing posts and everyone said the same thing. He needs to drop back to a mile and a quarter. Some people suggesting maybe even dropping back to a mile, given how impressive he was in the guineas. And there was, I think it was Kieran O'Neill who said, he just looks slow, he needs two miles. 
Um, <laughs> and I thought, although although it's easy to laugh at that, I I I like the fact that he was happy. He was keen to take a, a completely different approach. Mm. And you know, if you hadn't seen, if you hadn't seen the Guineas at all, if all you'd seen of him was the Derby and the Irish Derby, you'd say. Let's try him over further. Yeah, you know he's he's he seems to be taking too long to get warmed up in these races, um, but it, it seems that just as he was as he was trained for those mile and a half races, some of the brilliance we saw for a mile at Newmarket seemed seemed to be trained out of him. Um, but he didn't look a miler last year. That's the thing. I mean, I on our season preview, I said, you know, I, I wouldn't really have him in the Guineas because essentially he just outstayed Roaring Lion in the. Um, uh, in the Racing Post Trophy. That looks tremendous for him now, by the way. Yes. Um, but if you watch the race again, Roaring Lion should have won it. He was a bit wayward at the finish, and Saxon Warrior uh, battled back to win. And that struck me as the performance of a horse he would need at least a mile and a quarter this year. Um, and then he kind of blew that out of the water in the guineas. Um, but since then, he, he's he's looked back in that kind of mould. He's, he's looked uh, a little bit dour, um, a little bit short of... of um, an important turn of foot uh, when he's needed it in um, uh, in those mile and a half races. Um, and I don't, you know, I can't really believe that he's suddenly going to, he's not going to turn into a Breeders' Cup mile horse, I don't think. Um, and, you know, if you were, is, are they going to go QE2 with him at, at Ascot? Or are they going to go, you know, I'd have thought Irish Champion Stakes would be the kind of race that, that would appeal more um, and a mile and a quarter is the, it's just the obvious place to go with him. But I wonder whether it's too obvious in that you end up there by default rather than thinking outside the box. Um, so, yeah, he's he's a little bit of a conundrum at the moment. And it's it's um, it's hard to know whether he's going to uh, refine the form that, that, that won the guineas. And that, again, the form looks really good now. The, the race has worked out well. Sometimes you get horses who look impressive in the guineas. And then you look back on the race a couple of months later and go, well, that wasn't very good. I know, obviously, tipped to win was second at a big price, and he's disappointed. Um, disappointed since, but you know, the overall form of the race looks really good. Well, you've got, um, you've got and, the Derby yeah. winner and and the Derby second in behind. So, yeah, yeah and you and, and you've you know you got you've got the the uh, the Dante winner and the, the Eclipse winner. Um, you know, it it is really solid form, uh, and he looks tremendous, and yet he hasn't looked like that. Uh, in his his subsequent runs, and I and I'm not entirely sure why. Um, you know, the obvious reason is that he hasn't stayed the longer trip, but he hasn't been shaping like a horse who doesn't stay. I know Kevin makes this point. You know, stamina is not always easy to to um, to understand, and it's not an absolute thing. Um, a, you know, a horse with a lot of class um, will keep running for you, um, while you know, even if they're running over trips that that stretch them. You know, they're they're in it. Um, ability will see them home so it looks like they'll stay but they're not showing the same form um we'll see i mean i i I, again i'd love to see him back to that kind of form but i'm scratching my head with him a little bit yeah uh, very much me too i'll get your thoughts on roaring line in a second but peter i want to bring you back in here as as you look at the middle distance three-year-olds from the state side and obviously you've been over uh, in the UK and Ireland quite a bit as well. Um, he was the he was the one. He was the the big hype horse. I remember Daily Racing Forum doing a big article about him when he won the two thousand guineas because uh, Mendelssohn was all the rage for the Kentucky Derby, and uh, you know it was a huge story. Father and son teaming up yet again in the O'Brien family to go and win. 
And since then, the O'Brien family have gone and chinned him in the Irish Derby with Dunica and Joseph teaming up with uh, Latrobe, who's probably quite an exciting horse in his own right. Uh, Massar is out for the season. It is a little bit of an underwhelming crop. Uh, it's maybe harsh. I don't think it is, actually. Um, who are you excited about seeing for the rest of the season? We just saw Study of Man, the French Derby winner, beaten yesterday. Uh, as we record this on Thursday on the Races at Deauville by a brilliant, absolutely phenomenal ride uh, from Oshin Murphy on Night to Behold. Um, but who's taking your interest in the middle distance division in Europe for the three-year-olds? I'm definitely not ready to give up on Saxon Warrior. Maybe I am being Captain Obvious on this one, but it just feels like the 10 furlongs will be ultimately the right target Looking back at the last race, you know, came coming so close on the heels of the Irish Derby. Yeah. I just feel like looking at it, tr trying to just divorce myself from the hype and what Saxon Warrior was supposed to be. Just when I'm looking at him as a racehorse, just looking at the past performances, the way you would evaluate any horse that didn't have all the attendant hype and importance on the breeding size, side of the industry because of who he's by and all that. Just looks like a horse that maybe needed a break after a monster effort. Um, and then uh, the two subsequent races that maybe were slightly beyond the scope, even though he, as Rory pointed out, he always shaped like that's what he wanted to do. But maybe time off, targeted campaign, trained to run 10. Maybe we're going to see the horse we thought we knew back in the spring. Uh, I, I'm very excited to see what Saxon Warrior does next, and I sure hope that uh, that he can run back to some of that promise he showed earlier in the season. I'm liking that enthusiasm, Peter. Very much liking that enthusiasm. It's currently two all between uh, Saxon Warrior and, and Roaring Lion. Um, Roaring Lion is is a very very talented horse in his own right. Can he go further, Rory? Can he? Is there more scope for improvement there? There probably is, um, and he has he's conquered. His waywardness, um, to a degree, I know he can still he can still um, he can still go left, but he showed at Sandown he can go right as well. So <laughs> that's um, uh, that's uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing, um, as, uh, as as big race jockeys will often tell you. If you if you've got a horse who's got the class to win a race, um, and you know he will he will into a rival trying to challenge him, um, then uh, that that sometimes can give you a little bit of an edge. Um, but yeah, he, he got it done um, grittily. Um, at Sandown, never looked like he was really going to lose that in the stewards' room. And it's you know again getting back to to um, the overall form there between the two horses. Um, yeah, there hasn't been a bad run from Saxon Warrior, um, and aside from the Craven, there's not been a bad run from from this fella either. Uh, and they are they are closely matched. So in, in talking about how you know we're scratching our heads with with uh, Saxon Warrior, we, we have to admit that he hasn't been running poorly. He's been running really well. We were just expecting something slightly better. Um, and the fact that he's able um, to run as well as he did in, in a in a strong race like the Eclipse um, so quickly after the Irish Derby is, is um, testament to his fortitude, and that should that should stand him um, in good stead later in the season. But yeah, Roaring Lion he's he's been a funny one in that he's always looked to have tons of talent, um, and I thought he rather threw away the Racing Post Trophy. He he wouldn't have been ready for the Craven, but you know. If you had doubts about him before that, you were more than happy to say, you know, a lot of people wrote him off entirely after that. Um, and he was, 
you know, given that he was sort of joint favourite for the Guineas through the winter, he's ended up going off at about 16 to 1 on the day, hasn't he? Yes. Or he certainly was, you know, he was 20 to 1 in the morning. Yeah, he, he drifted uh, like a barge. I, yeah, and I thought it was just the crazy price given his talent. He actually ran really well on the Guineas. He was on the wrong side of the track and everything happened up the middle and he made a move. If you listen to the commentary back, um, that's right. Was it, um, was it Ian Bartlett doing Ian the commentary? Bartlett, yeah. you know, Here comes Roaring Line! The winning run. Um, with a furlong or so to go and just flattened out a little bit. And he's gone from strength to strength from there. He travelled like the best horse in the derby, just didn't stay the trip. Um, it was really impressive off a slow pace um, in the Dante. Um, showed, a, showed a tremendous turn of foot to win that. Uh, and again, he showed a sharp turn of foot to win the Eclipse. And you, you, you can't really knock him. Um, the interesting thing about him, well, one of the interesting things about him is he's got a, a proper US pedigree. Um, and, he, you know, he, he's the kind of, I'd be interested to hear what, uh, what what Pete makes of him. He's the kind of horse who would have the future if they wanted to campaign him in the States. I don't think they will. I don't think his current uh, connections are, are particularly interested in, in running horses um, stateside. But um, given his pedigree, um, he would do very, very well there. Um, and, you know, no, we know exactly what he is. He's a mile and a quarter horse through and through, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he... So we know what his heart should be. And he's in... He's in the best hands in terms of, of seeing his season through. It started very early, um, but he was fairly undercooked when he started. And um, his trainer is an absolute master at getting horses just to peak all the way through the season. Um, and if you had to have one trainer to have their horses right in October or November, um, John Gosden would be your man. 100% and uh, another string to John Gosden's bow. There, there was talk that he was going to go for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf last season, Peter, I remember, and then they, they withdrew him for whatever reason or, or thought better of it. Um, maybe they were afraid to take on the, the mighty $3 million Colt Mendelssohn. Oh, dear. Uh, he can bounce back. He can bounce back. Um, your thoughts on that pedigree and, and also anything else that you think we should be mentioning? We haven't talked about Q Gardens yet, who was brilliant at the Royal Meeting, one is Group One in France. Are we in danger of ignoring him, Peter? Well, let's loop back to Roaring Lion for a second, and I do agree that that pedigree would make perfect sense over here. And the the fact that the Breeders' Cup Turf is twelve and not ten, not necessarily a concern. We've seen before many times horses who can get. 10 furlongs in England or Ireland being able to stretch that around. Uh, part of that having to do, I think, with how much time is spent running around, uh, running around the turns in the, in the USA race courses. Sometimes the, 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 that will translate almost perfectly. So I do think that's something to consider. It might be the kind of situation where sometimes the Breeders' Cup for English and Irish runners really is an afterthought. It's not obviously going to be the, the, the horse's goal, but if the horse is doing well end of the season and they, they feel like, uh, you know, certainly in those hands, you trust them to make the right decision if one more race could be, uh, could be on the cards and the horse would certainly come here as a, uh, horse would certainly come here as a contender. Uh, you couldn't, you couldn't deny that. So that'll be, that'll be pretty interesting. As for Kew Gardens, I don't know much more than um, than what's just obvious. Uh, looking through the the past performances on on at the races, certainly uh, uh, an interesting runner to follow going forward. But I, I don't have too much to add other than a certainly a progressive, uh, improving type. Who I'm very interested to see what happens next. Well, Rory, will we see him on at the races? Will he go for the Saint Ledger, or would they tilt for the Arc, given the current state of things at Ballydoyle? 
I'd go to the ledger with him, and I think that his campaign has suggested that the ledger has always been on their mind. Um, but he's entered in pretty much every group one you can you can throw a stick at. <laughs> there, there's a um, surprise but, but, for a normal horse. But in saying oh, that, off, off the off the races he's entered in, four of them are at mile and six or further. Yeah. Um, you know, he's in the Irish and Ledger, the Sun Ledger, um, the uh, there's a ledger trial, of course, mm-hmm. um, the Comer Groups and Ledger trial, um, and he's in the Long Distance Kapanaska in October as well. So, you know, they think he's a stayer. They think that that's where his future is. Um, and, um, you know, he's in the Irish champion. Um, but they, they might throw him in there. I'd be surprised, to be perfectly honest. Um, his, his, do you know if he's a, an intended runner in the Voltage Six? Uh, York I, next week. I don't think he is going to take up that engagement no. from from current memory, but I better know because I'm on Talksport for it all week, so I'll, I'll have to. Well, that, that's up on yeah, there's only a few days before the St. Ledger trial at uh, at the Curra. Yeah. Um, and that would that would more, be more um Aiden's uh, way of uh, of doing things. Although there's always a you know there's a possibility there of meeting older horses. Um, and the, the voltage, although it is the, the sort of premier St. Ledger trial, it's not even a mile and a half. No, that's, it's a, that's it's a true. slightly unusual yeah. um, way of prepping for this in ledger. Yeah, um, when, when the ledger itself is is a mile six and a half, there um, is, the voltage is, is less than a mile and a half. There is every possibility he could take up that engagement in order St George would go for the Irish St Ledger trial, yes. but um, like I said, I'm covering it for Talksport for the week, so I had better make sure that I know all the runners and I'll go through it at the weekend. Um, if I was to ask you for your arc winner right now, Rory Delargy, who would that be? Uh, I would not be. Uh, you really need to have a gun pointed at my head to get me to have a have a go at the arc. Um, Kevin Blake has a gun pointed to your head. It is a water pistol. <laughs> Let's keep things clean. It's a water pistol. Uh, it's full of brandy. Do you want him to pull the trigger? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe not the brandy now. It's a bit too hot for that kind of thing. Uh, no, I, I, I couldn't be drawn on the on the arc. I think it's a I think it's a pretty. Uh, it's one of those races that it, if you would need to have a whole weekend to work through it because there's so many horses towards the head of the market you think might not go there or have doubts about their current well-being and you'd end up sort of digging out you'd, you'd want to dig out an improving three-year-old who's not been on people's radar um and uh, and you know find a, a juicy price about it that's what i'd be looking to do but nothing nothing jumps off the page for me at the moment because i haven't been looking at the um uh, at the horses below the very top level with a fine tooth comb, um, but I probably will do in the coming weeks. But you know, still August. Um, sometimes you you really want to get involved in that kind of anti post market, but um, the arc has has not been a happy hunting ground for for people who want to um, throw the money at it in the summer in previous years. So I can uh, I can wait for uh, for a few weeks yet. Yeah, Peter, I've really wanted to have a bet on it. And I just can't figure it. I cannot work it out. So solve it for me. Tell me who wins the arc. Well, it's I, it is tempting to to only make a selection with gun pointed firmly at head, uh, brandy or no. But oh, m- might, just... might I add that for you, it's bourbon. <laughs> okay, well that's better. That's better. That in that case, I'll just I'll just pass and you can just fire and I'll catch as much as I can with my mouth. <laughs> Of the prices on offer at the lower end of the market, I I feel like Poet's Word at 10s is, I mean, more appealing than the other unappealing options. But I like this idea about trying to work it through and find that under-the-radar three-year-old 
uh, with the weight break at, at, a, at a much bigger price. I'm just I'm not that far along enough in my in my analysis of it. But in terms of the low end of the market, give me the give me the in form uh, less less hyped horse over the the more hyped horses with all the question marks. Yeah, I think Potsward is probably the most solid. I would probably take a uh, Rory's going to start skidding laughing here now. Sea of Class or Lawrence are probably the two that interest me. If I was to go and try and tilt at one at a price. He hasn't laughed yet. Maybe it's a delay in the broadcast. No, no, Lawrence, Lawrence is an interesting dark one, yeah. 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 I, I <laughs> I'm not laughing yet. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, well, I think that's interesting, assuming you can hear me. Yes, just about, just about. No, no, yeah. it came through. A um, lot of tweets about verbal dexterity. Hopefully he'll be back very, very soon. Uh, gentlemen, before we wrap up the two-year-olds, unfortunately, Calic's done for the season and we're not sure when we're going to see him next. So the simplest question to ask you is, who is the juvenile that you're most excited about? And I will just quickly go to a tweet um, which came into his earlier on today uh, from Ali. It says, hey, Emmett, do you think at all that Christmas the horse is a future good one or am i being dazzled by his name in august i blooming love him uh i like him as well he's had the what four starts so far uh winner on his last two the thing about the real reason i like this horse is because he's by galileo out of a lemon drop kid mare so immediately that's my heart with christmas but um, I think he's very interesting, and uh, he would be a horse that I'd be keeping a very, very close eye on. Uh, the other is Landforce. Um, for you, Rory, who is the juvenile you are most excited about seeing for the rest of the season? Uh, oh, I'm not. I'm not massively excited by um, uh, by too many of the juveniles. Quarto was impressive in Newmarket, um, and. Of most I've seen so far, he's the one who's got the mo is in the mold of a horse who'd be better at three. Um, we've seen quite a lot of of um, fairly um, um, precocious two year olds so far this season, and the question is with a lot of them how well they're going to train on. Um, Quarto strikes me as as one who's who's um, just been looked after a little bit more, uh, and yet he's good enough to win to win Group Twos at um, at Newmarket in July. So. Uh, he will stay a mile at least next year, and um, you know he, he's he's definitely one to look forward to. But I haven't there haven't been very many who've who've um, who've set me on the line so far. Could I ask you about the Gerald Cullen suggestion on uh, Twitter? A, a proud Kilkenny man because his username is Thyestes12. Come on, Gerald. Uh, John Gosling's two-year-old colt, too darn hot, is my selection to be the top two-year-old. Um, beautifully yeah, bred was, was and really well owned. Yeah, well owned. I like that. <laughs> Um, yeah, from um, uh, from the the uh, the, the, the last the yeah, I was I was I wanted to do some Julie Andrews gag there, but it's it's just it's too tortuous, really. It's got to be very impressive. At, very impressive at Sandown, and again, a horse with a pedigree that suggests um, next year is is um, is when um, Two Darn Hot is going to flourish. Um, but yeah, really took the eye out. Um, when winning at uh, at Sandown, and I'm 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 always more excited by horses like that, you know, that that aren't aimed at Royal Ascot in the first place, uh, make the debut a little bit later, so they've been given a bit more time to mature. Um, yeah, so uh, Two Darn Hot would definitely be um, uh, be on, you know, a list of horses for next season certainly. Um, 
uh, I wouldn't disagree with that. But there'll be there'll be plenty that we haven't we haven't heard of at all who will be gracing our race courses in the next two months. Um, who will give you a lot to be excited about over the winter. Absolutely. You just know that there's going to be back-end maidens that are going to produce interesting horses. Uh, speaking of interesting horses, a horse that absolutely bolted up in front of the At The Races cameras uh, gets tweeted in by listener original underscore gun. Ask Peter, please, about Instagram and Instagram's prospects for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. He was ridiculously impressive. Uh, winning by ten and a half lengths, he was ten to one on, I should say. But what's the latest on him? He's been looking unbelievable. The first race, uh, the maiden at Los Al, probably even better than it looked, given that he was running down on uh, what was a what typically is and was that day a dead rail that day. One by ten anyway. Comes back in the Grade Two Best Pal at Del Mar last weekend. Uh, 10 cents on the dollar, as you point out, but still, when you win by 10 and a quarter, it's tough to tough to crab that. This one was expected to be good, sold earlier in the year for $1.2 million, is in the very capable hands of Jerry Hollendorfer, has a pedigree that suggests stretching out. For those who look at uh, the buyer speed figures, 92 earned in the best pal. That's pretty darn good for a uh, two-year-old Colt in August. And uh, the seven to one that appears to be on offer, at least in some places, uh, looks looks fair. I mean, he'll have another run, but that's uh, certainly the two-year-old who's attracted the most hype and 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 probably has the best resume to this point. Uh, one that if you're if you're interested in, I I would not I would not dissuade anyone from taking that number right now. But but Emmett, I was told there'd be no singing on on the podcast. So I <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Who told you that? Did producer <laughs> D tell you that beforehand? Because because that is that is clearly a blatant lie. <laughs> he said to give you a hard time if you started singing. So I, the I, Phantom I, I, of the Opera's here. Yeah, it's probably best for everybody that we uh, we don't do that. Uh, Alex Reeve says, Almond Eye, winner of the Japanese 1,000 guineas in Oaks, Calix and Arthur Kit, Kingman and, and Camelot pedigrees. Looking forward to seeing an able back and Cracksman trying to get back to his best. Charlie Appleby's training this season. And last but not least, Alpha Centauri. So the final question for you, uh, then, gentlemen. Uh, first of all, I will ask you for a European juvenile to watch out for for the rest of the season. Peter, who are you most excited oh, about? I'm I'm too I'm out of my depth on that one. Unfortunately, I I feel I was a big Calix fan, but obviously that's uh, that's not going uh, that's not going to be a productive uh, response. So I, I've I've got to go back to the drawing board and do a little bit more do a little bit more work on that. I haven't been following the division that closely to this point, but I look forward to digging into it ahead of uh, the Breeders' Cup. Certainly, especially now that that Breeders' Cup juvenile turf. I think that any thought that anybody had that that race is just an afterthought has to be out the window with as, as well as the form of that race has worked out. I think we're going to see some good ones here at Churchill. I look forward to following the division closely from here on out and having some thoughts on that one for the next time we talk. Yeah, I, I, given the way the O'Brien stable season has gone and what he did in Dubai, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Mendelssohn bounces back. I'm not saying he'll win the Classic. But wouldn't be in the least bit surprised if you managed to go and actually do something. Uh, Craig Baker asks, I am an avid listener. And given that I live in New Zealand, I would love to hear more debate about Winks. Don't really have time for a debate, but we are going to see her run in the Owl Winksy Stakes. 
uh, <laughs> over the weekend on At The Races, where she's currently 10 to 1 on. So, Peter T. Fornital, are you in the Winx camp? Yes or no? Is she the best you've ever seen? Or is she just a good horse? I mean, I think a good horse is shell- selling her way too short. I, th- I think she is better than merely that. You look at the form of, you look at the, the, you know, the group one winners she's beaten and the style of her races. I can't just say she's all, merely a good horse. Am I ready to uh, proclaim her the best I've ever seen? No, no, I'm, I'm doing that thing where I, I sit on the fence here and, and I hope I can get away with it with my uh, hindquarters intact because I, I, I just, I would have, to make those kind of grand claims, I think I maybe would have preferred to see a little bit more of an ambitious international campaign. Yeah. But I, I one of these people who just wants to knock her either what she's accomplished is amazing great for the sport and i, I like it when the fans get excited i i'm not i'm not a, a hardened gambler enough to always be cynical about the horses whose uh hype maybe uh to some degree at least in some quarters outstrips the, the overall achievements but i mean heck what's she ever done wrong yeah i find that hard to disagree with not travel rory Winks. Yeah, and and if you're going to start knocking Winks for not traveling, then you know, stop fawning all over Frankel. <laughs> <laughs> there was a tweet actually. I can't find it. I'm so annoyed. I'll do it again on Monday with uh, with Kevin, uh, talking about Frankel's stud fee, given his his record this season. Yes, he's producing winners, but how high quality are they? Um, but I'll go into that with Kevin on on Monday's show when we're we're looking at York controversial um there is a question for you dermot uh, there is a question for you rory from dermot who says how far would alpha centauri beat winks by if they ever met uh oh that's uh that's a trap really isn't it um i it's very hard uh, for us to fully appreciate winks um and uh, i w- certainly it's too easy to say is she just a good horse or is she the best of all time? Because you're making sure that she has to fall in between uh, those two stools um, because the best of all time is clearly an extremely difficult bracket to fall into mm. and just a good horse is clearly um, not a high enough bar. Um, so just saying she's somewhere in between uh, is a little bit too easy to uh, to, to wriggle out of. Um, I don't know. She's... she's um, I'm a big fan of um, giving horses extra credit for continually running um, to the same high level over and over again, um, rather than praising a horse for for one or two exceptional performances. Um, uh, and I would give her extra credit for her toughness and the fact that she's still doing. Was she seven now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that the fact that she's you know she's a mare who's who's you know almost untouchable in in, in a Group One company in Australia at the age of seven is absolutely remarkable however however good um the whichever your favorite favorite race mare um filly of all time is um it's hard to imagine too many of them um going to the well until the age of seven and still producing top results so she for that alone um she deserves huge praise and it's difficult to argue that she's not the best in the world at the moment um, I don't know quite where I stand at that, on the, you know, at that stage. But if you look at the world's third bit ranking, she's she's out in front, um, and you can argue all day about who should be there. And I think Alpha Centauri, um, come the end of the season, 
um, will be rattling up that um, that table. She's she's a few pounds behind at the moment. Obviously, she be, she's um, she'd be getting wait for age if that clash ever did happen, which it doesn't, which it won't, of course. Uh, and she's only going to improve through the season. But the last thing in the world I'd want to do is not winks at all because her record is is absolutely stunning. I think most people who do not winks here do it knowing that what they're essentially doing, they don't care how good winks is. They just love winding Australians up. <laughs> and that's what it's all about, isn't it? That is essentially... Like they're, they're, they do get a little bit testy, the Aussies, so let's just pretend she's rubbish that's, and see how they react. That's basically yeah. Kevin Blake's modus operandi. You've, you've essentially... He, he, he's, You've you've got to the core of Kevin Blake right there, and and do you know he's what? He's not the only one. There are, there are plenty playing oh, exactly the same. Absolutely, game. there is. He, he is merely a tool in that. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's many. There are many who like to indulge in that particular uh, pastime. What I will say about her is this, and and this is, you know, I'll probably get a punch in the face now from Kevin Blake when I see him next week. But what what I would say about her is exactly what Rory's saying. What she's doing is quite phenomenal. Um, there is the whole fact that they are just like building Group One races for her whenever they feel like it, which you know doesn't sit well considering how prestigious European pattern races are. But you can't take from the visual impression of what she does, and she brings hundreds of thousands of people to the race course, and she has the entire world talking about her in terms of racing. She transcends the sport, and for that, she deserves a huge amount of credit. Whether she is as good as the best we've seen, I doubt but she does a lot for the sport and she deserves that. Um, Torcedor has been sold. Apparently the owner's got an enormous six-figure sum for uh, the six-year-old gelding and it looks as though he will now be heading off uh, to campaign for the Melbourne Cup being based in Germany. Uh, Torcedor has been a great rival of Stradivarius. Will he win the Stairs Million and is he the best stayer around? I think this is going to be a very simple question. Roy, did I argue yes or no? Uh, yes. Yes, best stay around. Yes, 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 he'll win the million. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, if you want to, um, if you want to be really clever, you'll say no because the odds are probably marginally in your favour. But <laughs> you know, the, the horse deserves a lot of credit for for um, uh, for how. He, for a high consistently is and how he's come forward again this year. So um, I, I think, you know, he deserves that crown. Um, I he's not the most exciting stayer we've ever seen, but he keeps, he keeps um, turning up and, um, and doing it. Um, and I was uh, ultimately impressed with him the other day. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, given, given most stayers only really come into their own, um, you know, at five and up, um, he's done very well. Um, to, to win a good book cup at the age of three, which is uh, unheard of for for a long time before that, um, and then to to step up his game uh, this year, and I think he's probably going to be better again next season. We hope we. Uh, there's no reason why we shouldn't see him next year. Um, it'd, it'd be a real shame if if proper stayers are being retired to start at four or retired from the game at that sort of stage. Um, so he he should only go from strength to strength, and um, hopefully. What we'll see in the next few years is more and more competition from from um, high class mile and a half horses um, willing to take the step up to two miles because um, there's something about the staying races that there are that is inherently more exciting um, than um, 
than some races at Shorter. And, and some of the most memorable battles I've ever seen have been um, between cup horses. Uh, and the, the more quality was injected into that in terms of the, um, uh, the ratings of the horses involved uh, and the more competition there is there, then the better it is for the future of the sport. So um, while he's a little bit out in his own at the moment, uh, it, yeah, I think he I think he does the job this year. But essentially, what I'm saying is, I, I'm more excited about next year, the year after, the year after that, when we're seeing more and more horses come into the fold and more exciting races. The staying division tends to be dominated by by one horse um, over a period of two or three years, uh, more so than any other division. Um, and I'd quite like to see uh, tougher competition at the very top and better horses involved. And I think that's the way we're going. I like that assessment, Rory. Um, Peter, you got rid of the Breeders' Cup Marathon. Thanks a bunch. Thanks a, <laughs> thanks a bunch for that. Uh, but Stradivarius has been a joy to watch this season. And it would be great considering that 300,000 of that million goes to uh, the, the stable yard, essentially, or at least a portion of that money uh, is, is dispersed amongst the yard. Um, I just want to see him go and win. I'm such a big fan of Stradivarius admired tremendously what he's done this season and stepping up the game to a new level. Uh, you know, we don't have a lot in the way of stakes SA, but uh, I, I envy the idea of having that be a strong division, and, and it's something that I get it from the breeding point of view. Uh, everything is about speed, 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 but there's nothing quite like when you get uh, two horses really laying it down in the stretch uh, in a race over a route of ground to really watch stamina come into play as well as speed. The the sport of racing indeed is often at best under those circumstances. And I hope in time we can develop some kind of program uh, for horses going farther here. It's also, it's another great career option for, for older horses. And I've just got breaking news here, by the way, from Jamie Lynch at Time Form uh, throughout the races. Thank you very much, Jamie. He says, correction and omission for the final Farland podcast. Uh, it has been brought to my attention that Rory Delargy proclaimed Batash to be the best sprinter around. He should know that this horse, uh, the title of, that this horse deserves is clearly George Bowen, who will sweep all before him <laughs> and will continue to dominate in the sprinting game. Signed, yours sincerely, Jamie Lynch. Wait a second. This has come from Kevin Blake's email. I was suspecting that. Ah, oh, he's trying to twist the twist the game here. Uh, we all love George Bowen, and the amount of love for him on Twitter when we announced we were doing this podcast was fantastic to see. Uh, we were way over time with the two lads, and I cannot thank them enough uh, for their time. Um, Rory, I know that you've got uh, a huge amount of work to prepare for over the weekend, but we will talk to you again on Monday on the Final Furlong Podcast as we look ahead to York. Can't wait for it. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun. I haven't I haven't had looked at a single race at York yet, and I'm going to be doing that tonight because I've got a I've got a preview piece to do for the Irish Field as well. So I'll be all over it once we get off air. And watch out for that article as well online. Uh, and if you want to go for the old timey paper route, it's it's available in that particular way as well. But you can get it online. Uh, and Roy's article is excellent. Uh, in the Irish field, as always. Um, I'll be doing uh, York for TalkSport 2, if I can get my mouth words correct. So I, sh too, shall be uh, studying York, but I will wait until the weekend to do so. And I'm looking forward uh, to joining the team uh, again for that. Uh, Peter, the pilot of your show is currently available on YouTube, but also what's next? Um, podcast, Daily Racing Forum, what's coming up next for you? 
Absolutely. If you if you enjoy uh, my take on things, you can subscribe on iTunes to the DRF Players Podcast. Trying to make some arrangements to come over in the fall for one of the big Breeders' Cup preview nights. Do a little TV coverage on at the races. That's going to be fun. Um, and if you want to watch that pilot, check it out. DRF.com slash YouTube. Probably the easiest way to find it. Or on my Twitter feed, at yeah, your signal broke up, but basically just look up, look at my Twitter. You'll see Peter T. Fonertail's Twitter there and the, the the pilot of the show is there. It is absolutely fantastic. And so many of you getting in touch about uh, Last Chance You, which Kevin recommended during the week. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant on Netflix and season two is better than I thought it would be. That's it from Peter T. Fonertail. Yo. From Rory DeLarge. <laughs> All the very best. And from me, Emmett Kennedy, thank you so much for the kind words on social media. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you again next week with a brand new Final Forum podcast. Until then, God bless. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, Visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details.